listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Revelation chapter 3, the sixth of these letters. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast, not, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee, because thou hast kept the word of my patience. I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly, hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. In days of persecution, churches may falter or may thrive. That tends to be the pattern in church history. There are those who, in days of persecution, will end up denying the Lord, apostatizing from the faith, while others will hold fast. Those who hold fast, well, there are some of those who will be marked by a degree of compromise, but others like Philadelphia, will stay strong, though marked by weakness. As the Lord says in verse number 8, Thou hast a little strength. And yet this church in Philadelphia is commanded by the Lord. There are no censures, no however, no neverthelesses, no buts. They're a faithful witness. And certainly in these churches, seven churches written to in Revelations chapter 2 and 3, this time in history is marked by great Roman hostility. And there are these mixed experiences. And so it is encouraging to us. Faithfulness is possible in challenging days. You read the other churches and you, you, you kind of wonder, well, what hope is there? They're all marked by some degree of trouble and problem. It may be false teaching. It may be a desire to fall away. But here's a church that's simply told to keep on doing what they're doing. They are holding fast. They have not denied the Lord's name. And they are told to keep on holding fast. Verse number 11. Hold that fast which thou hast. It's a faithful witness. And to this faithful church, Christ presents opportunities. The open door theme comes at the very start of this letter, verse 7 and verse 8. There is an open door, a door opened with a key possessed by Christ. 
He has the key of David. He is the one that openeth and no man shutteth. And so it is to Philadelphia, he says, I have set before thee an open door. In other words, a door that Christ has opened for them. This door, I believe, I'm going to try to prove that now, speaks of the opportunity to advance the gospel. It is the idea of, well, here's a door, and this church is given the opportunity to advance the cause of Christ. Two things that I think lead to that conclusion. First of all, is the Old Testament basis for this concept. You turn back to Isaiah 22, and you will read there again of a key, the key of David, this time possessed and used by Eliakim. Eliakim is one of three who were chosen when Rabshakeh, the Assyrian, was coming and they were chosen to negotiate. And Eliakim was said to be given the key of David. Chapter 22 of Isaiah, verse number 22. And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder. So he shall open and none shall shut, and he shall shut and none shall open. And I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place, and he shall be for a glorious throne to his father's house. You see, obviously, where the concept is coming from, the Lord is drawing from this imagery. And this imagery does point forward to Messiah. Messiah is the nail in a sure place. He is the one with the government upon his shoulder. And so the key that is given to Eliakim indicates that he had the authority to speak on David's behalf. You like he had the authority to speak on behalf of the house of Judah. It was a governmental issue, this matter of the key. Now, again, all of us need to understand the key involved here is not like a small key you may put upon a, a keychain and put in your pocket. The keys were a very substantial thing, often made from, uh, from wood in the shape of some sort of hook, and often was carried on the shoulder. This is not a small thing that you may put in your hand. It was, a, it was a large item to use to undo bolts that were inside a, a double-walled door. So it's a, it's a big thing. It's on the shoulder. But you will see that the key is referred to as the key of the house of David. And so if Isaiah 22 points in a messianic direction, then it points us to the messianic kingdom of David. The key of David's kingdom, which we know from the Gospels, is the kingdom that Christ came in to establish in his life, death, resurrection, and in his ascension, he ascends to the throne of David. So the key represents governmental authority. It's on the shoulder. Christ is wonderful counselor, the government upon his shoulder. And you see all of that coming together in the messianic prophecies of Isaiah. The kingdom of David being the gospel kingdom that Christ brings into place. The gospel kingdom, Christ pours out the spirit from David's throne in the day of Pentecost. All these things come together. And so the key, the key is representative of the opening of opportunities to advance the gospel. You see that even in its Old Testament basis. But you also see this idea in the New Testament parallels. So turn in your New Testament now to uh, Colossians chapter th 4. Colossians chapter 4. This is just one example. I'm going I'm to quote a few examples. Let's turn to one of these, and that is Colossians chapter 4. And the verse number 3, where Paul is, is exhorting the people of God to pray. And what does he pray? Colossians chapter 4, verse number 3. With all praying also for us 
that God would open unto us a door of utterance. For what purpose? To speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. He's praying for a door to be opened, and there was an opportunity that he would then speak for Christ. Paul had that concept in, in mind several times. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, For a great door and effectual is opened unto me. He's referring to the Ephesian ministry. And there are many adversaries. Now, a door's open. A door for preaching the gospel. An effectual door. And yet there are adversaries. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, it says, for, uh, sorry, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord. So Colossians 4, 1 Corinthians 16, 2 Corinthians 2, and also Acts chapter 14. Turn back to Acts chapter 14. And in Acts 14, we see again the description of Paul and Barnabas, they're coming back from their first missionary journey. Acts 14, verse 27. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them. And listen, and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And so there's opportunity involved. They advance to the gospel, but not only, not only the opportunity to serve Christ but also to know success in that service. All of this is included in this door. Because here you see in Acts chapter 14, the door is the door of faith. It was actually the, the application of the gospel to the Gentiles. Not only did they hear the word of God, they heard with faith. It's all part of this door that is opened. And hence, when you think of that language, the Old Testament basis and the New Testament parallels, I think we can say with, with great confidence that the door opened here to the church in Philadelphia is the door for the advance of the gospel. And thus, we can say that Christ is presenting this church, this faithful church, with the privilege of going forward for the cause of Christ. Christ has the power over the church. He has this key, the key upon his shoulder. He alone exercises power and authority over the church and over the gospel. And so, being the one who is the sole head and king of the church, he is the one that opens this door and sends the church through that door of service. And so in light of that theme, I want to just point out a couple of things that I trust will be uh, things to encourage and also to uh, really exhort us in these days. First of all, please note that Christ presents faithful believers with opportunities to extend the kingdom. Christ is here presenting a faithful church with this open door. Now, I note that all the church is expected to be involved. This door is opened by Christ and it is for the church. I've set before thee an open door. And unlike all of these churches, the, the word comes to the angel, to the messenger, to be transmitted to the entire church body. They're all to, if you like, stand together and look out from their church building and say, look at the door over there. That's our opportunity to go through that door for Christ. And not one is to stay back. They're all to take that opportunity. They're all to go through the door. Now, of course, the gifts will vary. But the point is that every single one of God's people in the church is to be involved in this opportunity. 
It is in itself connected with faithfulness. There are various things that point that out to us. Verse number 8, I have set before thee an open door, for thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. They haven't given up. They haven't departed from the truth. It is, again, a general principle that we should not neglect, and that is that Christ requires faithfulness in his servants. Opportunities come to those who are faithful to Christ. Faithful to Christ in terms of his word. Faithful to the truth, not, not teaching error, not propagating false doctrines, but faithful to the truth of Christ's word. Faithful in submitting to Christ's will. People who are marked by faith, trusting the Lord as their good shepherd. Faithful to Christ in his ways, marked by holiness, spirituality, not carnality. This is a, a general description of those who are faithful in Christ's name, kept my word, not denied my name. Oh yes, false teaching, but in the, in the encompassing revelation of the word of God, faithful in all of these things to their Lord and Savior. The opportunities to serve successfully are connected to the faithfulness of the servants. We know God is sovereign, but God is pleased to use those who are sanctified meat for the master's use. There is a connection here. Success, of course, is always in the power of Christ. The Lord says to them here, verse number 8, For thou hast a little strength. Now, you could look at that and say that's a negative. Or you could look upon that and see that as a positive. I don't believe it's referring to their weak faith. This is a strong church. They haven't denied the Lord's name. The weakness here is more than likely numerical weakness. A small church or a relatively small church with limited resources. But they have a little strength. And that strength, of course, it comes from the Lord by the power of the Spirit of God. Paul would say that he was in Corinth in weakness and fear, much trembling. But the word came in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. But their faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This strength it comes from the Lord. And so you see here, the whole, the whole picture is of Christ presenting his faithful believers with the opportunity to successfully extend the kingdom. We desire to be useful, don't we? Some not part of our, of our spiritual journey. We want to be useful in the Lord's service. But are we faithful to Christ? Are we faithful to his cause and to his name? Are we those who are fearful of being faithful in the propagation of the gospel to loved ones, to neighbors? Have we sanitized the gospel so that we are not unpopular? Are we faithful in our souls? Are we prepared to give, are we prepared to give like a, a full orb gospel to those who need to hear it? Are we prepared to talk about sin and hell and judgment? Are we faithful to Christ? Are we those who are faithful in our lives, in our witness? Do we, do we come across as those who are, who are genuine believers and followers of Christ? Or are we those in our lives and in our conduct that really undermine and belie our faithfulness or trust in Christ Jesus? Christ presents, he presents his faithful believers with opportunities to extend the kingdom. 
Secondly, Christ predicts opp opposition, sorry, Christ predicts opposition in the task. Listen to the language. He opens a door and no man shutteth. Verse number 8, I have set before thee an open door and no man can shut it. Though they may try and though they will try. What you're seeing here is an implied principle, an implied uh, word from the Lord, a prediction that they should expect opposition. Remember what Paul said over in uh, Corinthians? A great door and effectual is opened up for me, and there are many adversaries. That's the expectation of the people of God. When we go forward through the door, we suspect on the far side of that door, there are those who are pushing against the door, trying to close it shut. For one, there are those engaging in satanic false teaching. My satanic false teaching here is not suggesting horns and pitchforks and Ouija boards, as wicked as those things may be. What you're seeing here is Satan working through the synagogue of Satan from those who say they are Jews and are not. Verse number 9. The Lord is referring to those who are false teachers. Paul would say to the Philippian believers, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. We're the true Jews. There are those who claim to be Jews, but they deny their Messiah, therefore they are not true Jews. Paul also, Romans chapter 2 says, For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, and neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit. And so you see, even in the early church there were those who had the name of being the people of God, part of the lineage of the Old Testament, but they were in opposition to the preaching of the Messiah. You see that in the book of Acts. Oftentimes, Paul suffers at the hands of those who, who say they are Jews and are not. Those who have that cultural, ethnic heritage, but do not know the reality of it in their soul. Moving away from the particular here in Philadelphia, in a general sense, the devil seeks to hinder the church propagating truth. We, we know that the devil is always seeking to hinder the propagation of the gospel. How? Well, one, he may hinder the messenger. He may work in such a way that he, he hinders the messenger in their service. Tempting to sin. Causing them to fall away from the faith. To deny the truth. Disabling the messenger in some way the devil's mind is that it hinders the gospel. And to a degree it does. Paul, of course, prays. He asks the church to pray and says, you know, that the word of God would have free course and be glorified. And, and not allow wicked men to have their wicked schemes for not all men of faith. And there is the opposition against the messenger. There's also, of course, the devil's desire to harm the message. To sow falsehood, a little leaven in the midst of all the truth. Just sow a little falsehood so that the gospel is corrupted. That happens, of course, in all manner of ways. We don't have time tonight to go into all the possible ways that may happen. But please, I encourage you to pray against the devil's devices. 
And you, you, you pray for the Lord's messengers across our denomination, our mission fields. Please pray for the Lord's messengers. But as you pray for them, pray that they be pure to the message. None of us are immune, if you like, from embracing some false doctrine in some way. We need the help of God, the protection of the Spirit of God. So pray for these things. But as you pray, be encouraged that Christ is here said to be holy and true. Verse number 7. Remember how important these descriptions are? Well, the word says here, These things saith he that is holy and he that is true. Christ is the holy God whose eyes are of such purity as to behold iniquity. He does not tolerate iniquity in the church, and so he, he beholds the iniquity of the synagogue of Satan. He, he sees their wicked schemes, and he knows they're false, because he's, he's the Christ to his holy and that is true, true to his word and true to his church. What a saviour, even in opposition. The presentation of the power of Christ brings us comfort. Christ predicts opposition in the task. And finally, Christ promises success to the laborers. Despite the opposition, and despite the weakness, there are in these words promises of success for those who faithfully labor through the door that Christ presents. There is, first of all, the preservation of the believer, verse number 10. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, which, by the way, is likely a reference to Christ's endurance in the cross. It's a beautiful way to describe the word the cross, Christ's patience. He endured the cross. Same idea involved there. They've kept the word of my patience. I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation. There's a, a promise of preservation. Again, I've mentioned already this. This text causes some people some challenge. Well, what does it mean kept from the art of temptation? Are they, are they delivered from suffering any trials, the trials that come upon the world? Well, we can say that the Philadelphian believers were not delivered from this Roman persecution. So it's not suggesting they've got an escape clause to deliver them from all temptations. I think the, the use of the preposition here, from, can have more general use, and it may well imply the idea of being kept in the midst of temptations and trials. Isn't that what the Lord does? He keeps us from the effects of the trials. He keeps us from ruining our souls in the trials. In the same sense that we, we pray, lead us not into temptation. The idea is that we would, we would not be overcome by temptation in that prayer. And so we think of the promise of Isaiah chapter 43. Fear not, I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, not I'll take you out, but I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. And when thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. It's being kept in the trials. Success. Those who are faithful are successful in preaching Christ to the end. It's part of their preservation and their perseverance. That's success. To get to the end of your life and say, I've been enabled by the grace of God to keep on preaching Christ. Well, there's also the progress of the church promised here. Verse number 9, it's a fascinating verse, the second part of it. Those who are the synagogue of Satan, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet. 
And the word worship here is not referring to the worship that we do to the Lord, worshiping deity. It has this general sense, I believe, at this point of respect and honor. Ironically, this was first promised to the Jews that the Gentiles would buy before them. Isaiah 60, verse 14. All they that despise thee shall buy thyself down at the soles of thy feet, and they shall call thee the city of the Lord. Now we see the true Jew experiencing the fullness of that promise as those who say they are Jews and are not are then brought to the point that they bow before their feet. It's wonderful to see the fulfillment of the Isaiah prophecies coming to pass in those who are engrafted into the covenant as Gentiles. It's wonderful to see the promise of God being fulfilled. Well, is it simply a promise of some sort of future final vindication that though they hear it them once, they'll come and respect them finally? Is that all? Uh, and that's a wonderful prospect in itself, but is that, is that all involved here? Well, listen to one commentary. says this, but there is more here. When Christ says those who are of the synagogue of Satan will come and worship, he is also saying, I will give you the best possible victory over your enemies. I will bring them into the church where you are. I will cause them to cry out, Men and brethren, what must we do to be saved? I will open the eyes of these proud, self-righteous, arrogant, scornful Jews. I will show them that I love you. I will bring them into your gatherings. I will bring them to the truth. I will convert them. That's one man's thought regarding what's involved here. And is it not entirely possible? Because do we not have examples Acts chapter 6, the priests are brought to obedience of the faith. Is not the case that Paul, once part of the synagogue of Satan, saying he's a Jew and is not, did Paul not come to faith in Christ? Surely it's possible those, those today who are the enemies of the gospel will one day come to faith in our Savior. Right now they may persecute the church. But by the power of God, they can be saved. And so, pray for the enemies of the gospel. Pray for them believing that God is able to hear your prayers. There's a door of opportunity opened. It's a door for the preaching of Christ. It's offered to a faithful church. I believe the implications are that as we seek to serve Christ faithfully, there's a door open for us. A door that Christ opens and no man can shut. Let's pray through these things for the glory of Christ's precious name. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.